every single marketer and every single brand should be attempting to earn a disproportionate share of conversation. If you work for an organization where they say, bring us a chart that goes up and to the right, you have a challenge. Half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. The trouble is, I don't know which half. I am here to inspire you, to excite you, to motivate you, to transform you, to energize you. Hello, and welcome to Demand Gen Visionaries. This episode features an interview with Dave King, CMO of Asana. Specializing in B2B enterprise marketing and growth, Dave joined Asana in 2017 to oversee global marketing efforts after having previously led marketing teams at Percolate, High Five, and Salesforce. On this episode, Dave breaks down Asana's unique hybrid demand gen strategy that starts with a core belief in an exceptional product experience. Dave discusses how to add value, engender trust, and deliver such a remarkable experience that your customers become your greatest advocates. But before we get into it, here's a brief word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Qualified.com. If you are a B2B marketer who has always dreamed of knowing when a qualified prospect is on your site and being able to talk to them instantly, now you can. Learn more at Qualified.com. So please enjoy this interview between Dave King, CMO of Asana, and your host, Ian Faison. Welcome to Demand Gen Visionaries. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios, and today we are joined by special guest, Dave how are you? I'm doing great, Ian. How are you? Oh, man, it's a great day. And I'm so excited to talk to you about your deepest, darkest demand gen secrets, because I know you have a ton of them. And I'm just thrilled to get into it. So let's start off. What was your first job in demand gen? Well, my first marketing job and demand gen job was actually in college. I was helping a buddy with a startup. This is back before SaaS, before cloud. We were one of the first content management systems delivered ASP, you know, as a service. And I was the psychology major amongst a group of computer science majors. And so I got the, the role of marketing. And we were, you know, we were selling this to university departments on campus and around town. And then had our first big event up in New York City at the Javits Center. And I had never done this before and made every event mistake in the book, including printing signage on foam board instead of vinyl. So we're literally loading computer monitors in the van to head up there and this giant 12-foot sign that uh, barely fit in the car. So just the first of many mistakes when it would come to demand gen, but I think wet my appetite for what has become a, a lifelong career. And so flash forward to today, tell us a little bit about your role as CMO at Asana. Yeah, so I get to lead a team of what we call supermarketers incredibly talented group of, of marketers. And it's just the most fun company and brand to market for. We use the product every day and we get to share it with our community. Now we have a, we have a really different model than I think most SaaS companies. We have a hybrid go-to-market model. So we have a self-service engine where we give the product away for free. And that has allowed us to attract millions of teams across 190 countries. And we have a direct sales motion, which is more of a traditional enterprise demand gen motion. And the two work together. I think it kind of represents the future of SaaS. And it's a super fun place to be a marketer where 100% of the traffic and leads that come in through our funnel are, you know, are marketing sourced. Full disclosure here, Dave, we're a 
Asana customers here at Caspian. And so every show that we create, including this one, is done in Asana. So we're huge fans and we've been fans for a long time. Yes, I love it. Yeah, no, it's funny. I mean, you know, we're going to dive deep into that hybrid model today because I'm so curious about how that works in the weeds here. So let's get into the trust tree. With the knowledge you've been given, you are now on the inside of what I like to call the circle of trust. What I thought we were in the trust tree with in the nest, are we not? So in the trust tree, you feel honest and trusted, and you can share those deepest, darkest demand gen secrets. What is your demand gen strategy? (laughs) I love it. Let's go deep and darkest secrets. Well, our demand gen strategy really stems from this unique hybrid model. So our philosophy is we believe so much in the product experience that we want to just get people into that experience as quickly as possible. So we have this self-serve motion. It has given the product away for free up to 15 users. And teams can get started, no credit card, get free access to the product. And what I love about it is they see the value from day one and only pay us when they are they need more users or they need more advanced features. So it aligns everybody's incentive in a really powerful way. And it's a huge driver of word of mouth for us. We then have a direct sales model. And unlike traditional demand gen functions, our demand gen team and our sales team is really focused on, hey, how do we help customers get even more value out of the, out of the product? So it's pretty common for our sales team to go into an account and there, there may be dozens of teams scattered throughout the organization already using the product, already getting value. Probably a couple of champions who are, who are big fans. And then it changes the selling conversation where our sales team's focused on, okay, how do we streamline your workflows? Much more consultative approach. They're not spending their time cold calling and just trying to get interest. There's already interest there. It's how they take it to the next level. I think it's a powerful model. I think it's uh, the future of a lot of SaaS products and one that is super fun to be a marketer in. We'll get deeper into that later on because it really is fascinating. And we just had on Julie Legal from Slack and they have a similar motion as well. Slightly different, obviously. And they're a terrific partner of ours, a customer of ours and we're a customer of theirs. You actually taught me probably a couple of years ago now, the term, the gas stack, the Google Asana Slack. And that's what our company uses. And I'd be so curious how many customers are out there that have that same stack, especially like startup or growing companies. Yeah. I mean, speed to market is the new currency of success. You just have to be agile and adaptive. And I, it does seem like the gas stack, Google Asana Slack is, is great for fast growing teams to have that agility. We're on that stack ourselves. I mean, you can build so fast, but you can also build from day one and have all your data. That's the thing that I think people, when I started Caspian Studios, it was like, I want all of our information historical to be in one place, right? And like, that's the flexibility that that gives you. I know all the things we've worked on in Asana. You know, I know where all of the content lives. And, you know, so it gives you flexibility, but also that year over year historical patterning, which is so critical. Who has time for a one or two year software deployment cycle these days, especially as demand gen marketers, we, we've got to get up and running quickly and where you can put these tools together to be really adaptive and move fast um, gives, you, gives us a big advantage. So what does your org structure look like as a marketing team? And then where does demand gen fit within that? 
Ours is probably a little non-traditional and it's organized by the by customer journey, so by phase of the journey. So we have a growth marketing team, which is responsible for getting people to Asana.com and getting them to sign up for the free product. So they're operating at massive scale. Uh, this includes our, our paid acquisitions team, as well as our organic growth team. We have a whole team of quants that are A-B testing and just trying to make sure that that self-service experience is magical and performant across all of our different languages and regions. We then have what we call a revenue marketing team. This is our traditional demand gen function. So it includes demand gen professionals, uh, integrated campaign managers, and our regional teams, which have kind of full stack demand gen functions based in Namer, EMEA, APAC in Japan. This team is responsible for driving pipeline, sales assisted pipeline, and they are tied at the hip with their sales colleagues. Their number one goal is ARR for their region. So we don't goal them on MQLs. They have pipeline goals, but they share the ARR target with our sales team. Next, we have engagement marketing. So this is the team that is focused. For us, it's so important to our model that customers get value out of the product. And so the engagement marketing team is from the minute that people sign up for the product, how do we educate and engage and then ultimately get them to advocate for the product? So this includes our lifecycle email marketing team, which is super important, one of our most important channels, and our community team. Our community team does several hundred events per year on five continents, all about driving word of mouth. So I believe more people hear about us from word of mouth than they do from any of our advertising or marketing tactics. And so this is the team that drives that. We then have a, our product marketing team, and they're responsible for making sure we have great product market fit identifying new market opportunities, working really closely with the product team to build features that solve real customer pains. We then have corporate marketing. So they're responsible for driving awareness and they're responsible for our story. And then our brand team. And we've got a world-class brand team, which is responsible for delivering that elevated brand experience and making sure we're developing brand consistency across every kind of touch point of our customer journey. So that's what the team looks like. And so let's get into those customers and your personas. Who buys Asana? It is a blessing and a curse that Asana can be used by, if you work on a team, Asana can help you organize your work. And this ranges from CMOs at some of the largest global brands down to local churches. The use cases are really endless. And I love it because it, it's so fun to talk to customers and hear how they're using it, like producing a podcast. It does make it harder to figure out who, prioritize who and where you're going to target. So our strategy is, uh, our core persona is this team lead, this program manager, who's responsible for coordinating the work across a team. You probably have them at your company. It's the person who makes sure all the trains run on time. They may not get the spotlight, but they are the people who make stuff happen. They are the people who bring us into the organization. Really important persona. So our, our self-service motion really is catered to serving them and getting them value without even needing to talk to anybody. We then focus our direct sales motion focuses on a couple of key departments where they really build expertise in the workflows of that department. These are departments like operations and marketing, sales and account management. Because our, our salespeople are really 
workflow experts, workflow specialists. So they come in in kind of an advisory capacity to help those organizations expand their usage. So we have a set of personas that we, uh, that we target there. So when you're talking those types of personas, like a CMO or, you know, like a, a VP of ops or somebody like that, and you have, there's got to be a better word than boil the ocean, because I don't want this a negative connotation. I don't know, bring candy bars to the ocean or something like that. Do you think about verticals? How do you think about, you know, slicing that up to figure out, you know, how to speak to those people? Or do you, like you said, ratchet down onto the use case for that specific persona? It's such a, a good question. And one I should have thought of right when I came in, the light bulb moment for me came when we were actually selling the product to one of my old coworkers, who was a creative director at now a very big public company. And, uh, and so I said, oh, well, I, hey, you go through the sales process. I want to get your feedback on how it went. And so our, our sales and customer success team and our marketers were in there kind of helping the organization. And he called me afterwards and he said, I'm blown away by the product. It can do so much. And he said, but I wanted you to tell me how I should manage my creative team and process. And I, I said, really? I said, you've, you've done this for 25 years. Don't you know how you want to manage your creative process? And he said, yeah, but I don't know how I should run it in Asana. And for me, that was a light bulb moment where he said, you know, we have to, we have to become expert in organizational workflows and everyone's workflow will be a little bit different, but we need to come in with a point of view to say, hey, here are how some of the best brands in the world are managing this process. Here's how operational teams are managing their OKRs and their goal setting methodology. So we need to build that expertise. And my uh, partner on, on sales, OJ, our head of sales, is just an incredible sales leader. And we've really kind of oriented around developing these expertise in these certain departments and workflows. We find that is more important than the industry segmentation. So an operations process at a uh, consumer packaged goods company is not that different than an operations at an airline, but operations is very different than marketing. And so we've built expertise around those functions. And I think we'll look at greater segmentation going forward. But when you have a big horizontal platform, I think that it can do so much. The question is how how can we add more, more value? And I think getting clear on the, on the segments is, is a key part of that. It seems like you have so many different parts of the organization that are leveraging the product to make your customers better in ways that are not part of the product, right? Like you said, your sales teams are helping streamline workflows. That's not something that you know, you could argue a salesperson's job is, is to say like, hey, I'm going to help them figure out workflows, but it's the ultimate consultative selling or value-added selling. You talked about, you know, this idea that, hey, we can actually help you learn some things about your organization and also learn some things about other people's marketing organizations of how they do business. Like, I mean, it's a fascinating place to be as a marketer because, you're teaching, I mean, we always talk about this as the nirvana. When you're teaching somebody about themselves and how to do better, and by the way, your product is like the structure for it, it's like the perfect place to be where why would they ever want to leave you when you provide that much value? I mean, how do you think about marketing that? Well, it's we feel so fortunate because we, we do, we use the product for every function. I know not every company has this luxury, but our sales team, for example, 
uses the product for account planning, for deployments, for on-site workshops. So it's really natural to be able to go into a company and say, hey, here's what we've been experimenting with and here's what's working for us. And then one of our big strategies has been to let the customers do the, do the educating. So we have this uh, big community program. And one of the things we love doing is just connecting companies in similar functions or connecting teams in similar functions and letting them share with one another. So we organize all these events and people will pull up their Asana and show, hey, here's how I manage product launches in Asana. And there'll be a discussion and breakouts. And so we view ourselves as community organizers more than professors. And that gives us even more material that we can teach and share. So it, yeah, I think this uh, community-driven approach and this approach on selling best practices, like helping people be better at their job versus selling features is a shift that's happening across our craft it's a huge shift and it's funny. So two days ago, I was talking with our head of content, Ben Wilson, and we were talking about how like, it would be so cool to be able to do like a ride along at like a Hollywood studio and watch how they make a TV show or like write an episode of a TV show or to sit along with someone at a company and see how they make a podcast. Right. And especially with COVID, like that's definitely not a reality. But with something like Asana, it's like if we could see their workflow of like how you make, you know, an episode of Hollywood TV, like an episode of Lovecraft Country or something like that, that would be super helpful and illuminating. And, and you can actually do that now. Like that's so powerful for the person at the other end of that who's getting access to something they never could have gotten. Yes. I love that you brought that up. I mean, when you think of human progress, it's building on the findings and knowledge of other people. And at work, we reinvent the wheel so many times. I mean, AB InBev has figured out a really good process for creative production. Why doesn't everybody get to, uh, to see and share that? So we, we actually, at our Future of Asana event just a couple weeks ago, we unveiled kind of our vision, our roadmap. And one of the things we announced was this idea of a workflow store. So consumers all have an app store. So I can go and download a great food delivery app. I don't need to build it from scratch why not have the same for workflows where you could publish and share a podcast content creation workflow and then make it accessible? I think particularly marketers, but also in other functions, we're trying to advance the craft. Very rarely are we directly competitive. The ability to create and share workflow, I think just advances everybody. So we're, we're working on a way to be able to do that. So how do you market that? How do you create those communities and how do you structure internally to be able to create that type of demand? Because that's really, you know, what you're doing. You're getting people to get the most out of their, their product post-sale, which is, you know, we talk a lot about how so much is spent on pre-sale marketing rather than post-sale marketing, where you can have making way happier customers. I'd love to say I was I and the team were brilliant and created this, but it was really the movement was already happening and we just get to kind of shape it and gather it. So I remember um, I was looking at usage data and we saw a big spike in, uh, in Germany and we just saw tons of usage uh, coming out of, out of Germany. And we, we, didn't, we didn't have an office there at the time. We didn't even have the product available in German. And we showed up and just organized, got the community together. And it was a packed house. 
I wasn't sure if anybody would show. And in a thunderstorm, the room was standing room only. And people were just sharing, hey, here's what I'm doing. Here's what I'm doing in short little presentations. And and that event went late into the night with just people sharing best practices. And so we just said, "There's there's an unmet need. And if we can facilitate that, let's think of programs to do that. And I think some of the best marketing is not, we're not creating things out of scratch. We're seeing the bright spots, like what is working organically, what's happening naturally, and then how do we create programs to, to amplify or to facilitate that? So our most creative ideas just come from what we're seeing in the community versus you know, us thinking of, thinking of them up in the lab. Okay, let's get into our next segment, the playbook. This is what's great about sports. This is what the greatest thing about sports is. You play to win the game. Hello? You play to win the game. This is where you can open up the playbook and tell us about the plays that help you win. What are three channels or tactics that are your uncuttable budget items? Oh, uncuttable budget items. Well, first is, I would say, our free product and email channel. Super important. We can quantify how much revenue our self-service motion drives. What's harder to quantify, but that is very evident, is the word-of-mouth impact. So a free user who may never pay us, but drives, you know, shares about Asana and drives. So we see that in all of our kind of brand tracking and customer surveys, the influence of that. So the free product and email, really important channel. Can I follow up question on that? Yeah. Yeah. How do you like allocate budget around accelerating word of mouth? And then how do you measure that? If I knew the answer to that, it would be the next frontier of marketing. (laughs) Touche. Yeah. I really believe word of mouth marketing is the future and is really untapped. We're doing a lot of experiments on how to, um, how to drive it. I don't claim to have the answer, but what we are doing is one is we, we instrument and track NPS maniacally. If we deliver the best in product experience, we know that that makes it, you know, that makes the product remarkable. People will want to remark about it. Secondly is we're very focused on, we like to say great marketing is about education and delivering an experience. So how do we help people be better at their jobs? And we do this by giving away Asana Academy curriculum, free educational courses and content. We do it by connecting them with the community that I talked about. But how do you make it an experience that people want to talk about? So everything from in our product, we have, if you check off a task, you may get a magical celebration that flies across the screen. If you show up to one of our events, there's always a, you know, some unexpected moments of delight and surprise. And I think those are things that people just go, ah, that extra touch that sticks with you. You know, and then I'm excited about word of mouth marketing, not referrals, not cheesy stuff where you, you know, pay people to share. How do you actually create an experience that people find so useful and so remarkable that they want to share about it? That's a yeah, big focus. Yeah, I, I love that. I mean, I love the idea that, you know, your community managers are a non-negotiable you know, budget item, because it speaks to the fabric of what it means to create a great experience and why your experience is your number one marketing tool, right? It's like, you have to have something worth talking about. I think so much of what you see in a lot of SaaS companies of like creating like quote unquote community creating and building. The problem is think of any community. They're only as good as their moderators. They're only as good as their connectors or their facilitators, right? So it's like, if you don't invest in getting really sharp people 
that are doing those things, any Slack channel that you're on, anything like that, like if you don't have the person that is actively helping and connecting, oh, have you talked to this person? Or like, then ultimately I say like, you know, push versus pull. It's like, that's just push content at that point. Then you're just pushing information into a channel, but that's only, and especially for, you know, startup or small business type or any, any size, you need to have pull stuff. You need to be pulling out of your audience to be able to say like, oh, you need help with this thing. Like this person can do that. And that's the key thing is I see a lot of community programs go wrong when the community is clearly there for the company's benefit. Sure, we'll have a community, but it's only so that we can source customer stories. It's only so we can get customer references. It's only so they can do this for us. Totally. You can sniff those out. And I think if the community is there to say, hey, we're here to serve you and connect you and help you grow in your career. And if you never pay us a dollar, we don't care. Those are the communities that thrive. Any other uh, uncuttable budget items that you're thinking about? Oh, uncuttable. Uh, so I probably say the, the free product and email, really important channel for us. On the paid side, search and review sites are important, a core part of the budget. With that, I would say our brand investments. With every company that I have been fortunate enough to lead the marketing team, coming into the company, I've talked with the founders, the board, and I've said, hey, 80% of the budget, I will show you to the best of my ability, the return on that investment. We will measure it to the best of our instrumentation and we'll make wise investment decisions. The other 20%, I'm asking you to trust me to make great long-term brand investments. And we'll share proxy metrics on how those are doing and there'll be accountability, but I can't show you the ROI in a certain period for those investments, but I'm asking you to trust that it will be in the best interest of the company. And everyone has said, Yes, absolutely. And so that that brand investment, whether it's in the form of PR and analyst relations, brand advertising, community programs, I think it's super important. And I feel lucky I've been at companies with CFOs and boards that have said, yeah, that's that's an important investment. I know not everybody has that luxury. It's funny, Julie from Slack said the exact same thing. And so I, and that's her like number one uncountable budget item for the listeners. If you haven't listened to the Julie episode, go back and listen to it. But it's funny, I wonder in this hybrid model if that is something that is non-negotiable because your website is super important, your quote-unquote top of the funnel or the freemium model is so critical that it's like if you don't have a brand that is very clear and defined and out there in the world for people to find then because, you know, getting someone to to make a decision on a freemium product is much different than, you know, an enterprise cybersecurity product, right? So it's like your brand is way more important to have someone take that next step, I'd imagine. Well, I think that what is the scarce commodity in society right now is trust. There is so much information out there. There's so much, but really we, we make decisions. We make emotional decisions. And we make them based on trust. And I think that's ultimately what what a brand is, is how do I deliver trust? And so I I would argue it's certainly important for Slack. And Julie and I were marketers at, at Salesforce, and I admire all of her work, and we share a lot of the same philosophy. And brand's important for our model. I think it's even important for a company that doesn't have a consumer facing presence. What matters is that you're engendering trust within the, the specific audience that you're targeting. So maybe that's IT security professionals. Okay, how do you create an experience for them 
that says, hey, I can trust this. And every purchase that we make, it says something about who we are and what we value. It's an identity refresh. And this goes for consumer products when you buy your pair of Nikes. It also goes for buying enterprise IT. So how do you give your audience a story that's trusted and that they can say about themselves? And I I think it has an amplifier on your business. Yeah, that's a great point. And that experience equals brand piece. Your marketing motions are part of the experience of the person using the product as well. 100%. What about something like a budget item or, or something that you've tried over the past couple of years that you're like, this just isn't working for us or, or something that fades away? Well, one that's, that's working just fine, but I think is probably at peak influence is the big ad platforms. So again, wildly productive, but I think if we were to kind of chart on a line graph, where's kind of the, the peak of the concentration of budget and influence of the big ad platforms, I think we're probably approaching that. So I uh, and the team are getting really excited about the emergence of all these new types of channels and communities. We're very excited about podcasts and internet radio. It creates that more intimate experience and a more targeted you know, audience. People trust their podcast hosts. Hey, now. We're excited about local publishers, word of mouth marketing. I talked about community. So I think we're probably at the peak of those big ad platforms. Another thing that works today, but I hope goes away, and I've talked a bunch with Craig and Sean about this, is gated assets. It pains me every time I put a gate on our website. There's a great ebook. To have to put it behind a form is intrusive to the customer experience. And I think we're getting very close to the point where we, um, you know, we're not going to need those and we can deliver a real tailored experience and still get all the benefit of the data on the back end. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny. I obviously talked to Craig and Sean, the founders of Qualified.com, who sponsored this podcast, about that as well, a bunch. And it's like, it is so funny because you see, as you're cruising around and looking at different products and, you know, trying to make decisions and you get these gated assets and it just is a door in the face every single time. Like, especially so many companies now require like the six fields for the gated asset because of compliance reasons and all sorts of other reasons. And you're just like, man, I mean, we have people faking email addresses just to get stuff, let alone faking like seven fields. That's just a stay away, right? You just leave. It is. And as a demand gen marketer, sometimes you have to do it. And I I get it. Our team does it occasionally. But there's a technology breakthrough, I think, that's coming where you don't have to make the false choice between customer experience and data capture. You can deliver a great experience and, and not have to throw the gate up. So I look forward to that day. Speaking of that, so how do you view your website? Oh, our website's one of the most important assets that we have. It is the front door for you know millions and millions of people that come to experience the this on a brand and our product and our company. For us, it's I, I prioritize it in three ways. So first is positioning. Really important that when people come to the site, they know who we are, what we're all about, what we stand for, and we try to make that clear above the fold on the homepage. People only give you six or so seconds on the site. You got to make it memorable. Second is performance. For us, our website drives our performance. It's the front door. So we got to make it as seamless as possible for people to sign up. Most of the people who sign up only visit one page. They're not going through the whole site. We need to get out of the way and let them get into the product. And then third is education. And so how we think about the site from a learning journey, whether you're a prospective employee, you're a recruit, maybe you're an enterprise IT buyer, 
Uh, maybe you're a community member, maybe you're an investor. We need to have those learning journeys through the site. But we think of them in that order. We'll never put performance ahead of positioning and um, we won't put that learning journey ahead of performance. It needs to serve those three purposes all at the same time. What is one of your favorite campaigns that you've run over the past couple of years? Oh, there's so many memorable ones. Um, the one I'm most proud of is uh, probably this year, right when COVID hit. We actually had a great campaign, demand gen campaign planned. We were going after functional segments. We had geographic cities where we were hosting field events and then on-site workshops. And we had prepped and planned all this content with sales. And, and then COVID hit and within 48 hours, we shelved everything. And we pivoted the whole team. I think it was the day that you know, the NBA canceled and Tom Hanks got coronavirus was kind of that day where we said, okay, we're, we're switching everything. So we shelved that and we launched this campaign that we put together about 48 hours called Asana's Here For You. And it had three pillars. The first was to get Asana in the hands of any team that was working to slow the spread of COVID. And so we, we gave away free licenses to all of these incredible humanitarian organizations that were from churches to medical research labs to community organizers, several hundred teams that, that we got in the product. Second was uh, help teams adapt to remote work. And so our sales team, like I mentioned before, they're very great at um, the product experts. They're really good at these workflows. They stopped all their prospecting activity. They stopped all their commercial activity and just said, we are here to help any team that needs our help. We were offering free consultations, even to free customers that don't pay us anything. Our sales team was hopping on video calls and helping them configure Asana so that they could help their teams adapt to remote work. It was inspiring. People were working in weekends to just do anything they could to help. And then third was we provided economic relief to any team that needed it. So teams that were really badly affected, we said, hey, if you can't pay for it, just we'll put your payment on pause, but keep using Asana. You need it now more than ever. So it was, it was fun to see the team rally in a moment when you looked at the news and you looked at the world and just said, everything feels awful. I would go to this Asana project and I would just see the organizations that were getting those free licenses. And you'd see this, you know, written in there was the story of how they're using it. And you just go, wow, what a remarkable society we have. So that will probably go down as the most, as the most memorable. We're launching a new campaign right now called Where There's a Sauna, There's a Way. And it's really fun. It is, it's all about kind of connecting with companies in their new work from home reality with our signature optimistic and quirky style to show them how they can make progress together. And that'll launch in about three weeks. So we're pretty excited about that one. Yeah, that's super exciting. We'll be following along. We'll link it up in, uh, in the show notes once it's live. All right, let's get into our next segment, the dust up. Uh-oh, here comes trouble. You may have heard that there was a dust-up involving yours truly. And now we've got a wild scrum with fights breaking out all over the place. And it is getting really ugly as we've got punches and kicks. This is about healthy tension, whether it's with your sales team, a colleague, a competitor, or anyone else. Have you had a memorable dust-up in your career, Dave? I love the term dust-up. So like a, a big... Uh, controversy or a row you know a fight uh, a, a disagreement well i uh you know i haven't had many i i will my first career before i saw the light and became a marketer was in investment banking it was in finance 
And I still vividly recall a managing director who used to call me into his office with a referee whistle. So I wouldn't use my name. It was a one whistle was for analyst, two whistles was for associate. And you had to race to the office to see who would be you know, the first there to, you know, to get instructions barked at you. Also, same role, I was blamed for the same managing director twice in one week, dropped off a rental car you know, at the drop-off to an airport. Just drove up to the airport, dropped the car, and, and just left it run, you know, left it there. And uh, I remember getting lectured for that. And I'm like, I wasn't even there. Why am I getting lectured at it about this? So uh, needless to say, I'm very thankful I've moved into work environments that are, are not like that. At Asano, you know, we, uh, one of the core values is around equanimity. And that basically means just approaching problems with a, you know, a clear mind, dispassionately. And our founders instilled that from day one. Disagreements are encouraged, but I don't think I've ever heard a, a single person that's on a raise their voice uh, in the whole time I've been there. When we disagree, we always go back to principles. Data is weighed more heavily than opinions. And there's a culture where people are okay changing their minds. They're okay admitting, uh, you know what? I came in with this perspective. I, I see your argument. I see the data and I'm going to change my mind. So it, there haven't been too many, uh, many dust-ups. Let's get to our next, well, first off, let somebody blow a whistle at me to come into the room. As someone who spent my formative decade in the army, I can tell you there were some definite ridiculous things that happened from that perspective, but man, no whistles. That's for sure. Yeah. Sometimes you have to have those experiences just to know uh, how good you have it, right? What is it in Game of Thrones? Like one long blast means Rangers returning. That's the only. Uh, that's, that's the only. <laughs> the only whistle that I'll, I'll listen to. <laughs> Let's get into our next segment. Quick hits. These are quick questions, quick answers. Just like how quickly you can talk to a prospect on your site if you use Qualified.com. Go to Qualified.com. They're the best. Somebody's probably sitting on your site right now. A senior executive ready to buy. You're not talking to them. So check out qualified.com. We love them. And they're the exclusive sponsors of this show. Quick hits. Dave, are you ready? Let's do it. Number one, have you picked up a hobby in shelter in place? Oh, with three kids at home, nine, six, and three, I am not one of those people who's growing their own sourdough starter and picking up knitting and, and running. That is not. <laughs> so my hobby is, uh, is being part-time virtual school teacher and just trying to trying to survive so no net new hobbies it's survival mode over here survival is the is the new hobby what about a uh, a book or a podcast or tv show that you particularly enjoyed recently oh yeah i got a, i've got a couple of guilty pleasures podcast right now a pivot with kara swisher and scott galloway love them so entertaining I don't do much in the way of Netflix binging, but uh, we do have a show with my kids, which is called Treehouse Masters, where they, they build treehouses and all my kids love it. I've got to say, I'm, I'm pretty addicted as well. So those, those two are my media habits right now. If you weren't doing this, if you weren't a CMO, what do you think you'd be doing? I hope to do marketing for a long time. I just think there's no more fun profession that combines creativity and analytics. It gets to work both sides of the brain and I, I love it. If I wasn't doing it, I would probably teach and I would teach uh, 
not at a prestigious university, but I would love to teach at a community college. For those CMOs that are trying to figure out DemandGen for the first time, what would be your best advice? Best advice, first, DemandGen has to be tailored to your audience and the needs of the business. So you can't take a DemandGen model that works at company X and apply it to company Y. So I think first and most important is figuring out what do you need DemandGen to do for your organization? When I started at Asana, one of my first priorities was I wanted to meet 30 customers in 30 days. So I went out with the sales team and with the customer success team to just meet them and just understand who are these people and what, what do we need? So I think first is getting real clarity on what you need. Oftentimes, demand gen marketers come in and say, hey, I need to just throw a ton of MQLs at the sales team. And when you really spend time with sales, no, actually, we don't need a ton of, we, we need better coordination, better integration, better account-based motions. So I think it's figuring out what the need of your motion is and then how do you tailor the model to it. And then I think it's hiring someone who has a superpower in what you, in what motion you need. Well, Dave, that's it. That's all we got for today. Everybody check out asana.com. You know, obviously, like I said, we're customers. You all are great. Any final thoughts? Anything to plug? Uh, well, so fun to always be, be with you, Ian. Thanks for having me on the show. No, I mean, well, I think, Final thing to plug is, as marketers, we spent so much time focused on, on the channel. Uh, we often don't think about our own marketing process, and that's a huge unlock. And so whether you're using, if you're coordinating marketing on a spreadsheet, I think there's a better way. And if we at Asana can help, we're always thrilled to. So, Ian, thanks for having me. Thanks again, Dave. Demand Gen Visionaries is brought to you by our friends at Qualified.com, a conversational marketing company that's on a mission to transform the way B2B companies sell. Go to qualified.com to learn more.